Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. Craig Hoffman here, Logan Paulson there, and joining us today, played in Washington as well as Green Bay, New York, uh, played in the Super Bowl, you know, scored a bunch of touchdowns as a returner, DB, played safety, played corner. Who else could be better than to help us with our DB preview as well as tell us some awesome stories than my guy, Will Blackman. Will, uh, good to talk to you, man. Uh, it was great covering you when you were here and uh, always good to connect. Thanks for coming on the pod. Was it great covering me when I was there? Actually, you know, I was, I was nice to you. <clears throat> I was nice to you all. So, yeah. Yeah, I, no, you were great to cover. Um, you know, there was other guys that were paying. But what I appreciated about, uh, about covering you was like you had the perspective of having been other places. And I, I do think that there were guys that I covered that were like only in Washington and they were like, yeah, no, things are great. And you were like, ah, I don't know. I've been around a little bit. I've seen some other places and uh, there's, there's, there's some room for improvement in a couple of areas. Yeah. I mean, that, that does help uh, to be right. Cause I was in Green Bay first, which is a great perspective. I was in New York as well. And then, you know, I finally was in Jacksonville where, I never had a losing season ever until I played for them. And so that was another perspective. So, yeah, I got to see what it looked like and what it shouldn't look like. But I also understood that, like, when you when you guys are asking questions, this is, like, this is my chance to control the narrative. I feel like a lot of guys miss that, you know, mm. where if you ask a question and I give you a super vague answer, well, you have another page to fill. So you're just going to write what you think. <laughs> so I'm like, you might as well give the long answers so they don't write, they, so they have less to write about. <laughs> so you're saying you manipulated me? That's that's what you're saying? No, I gave you an answer, so I did your job easy. Yeah, I yeah. helped you yeah. out, Logan. Real quick, the yeah. one thing I would say about Will, and I think like you know, John talked about this with you as well. You know, Kime talked about this when he covered you and some of the other guys who I think get that is like at the end of the day, the truth is going to be the most important thing. Cause otherwise like the narrative becomes about like, ah, they're delusional or they're lying or they're this. And like, I do, do feel like, yeah, you weren't going to throw anybody under the bus, but like you're a straight enough shooter to know like, yeah, like if we messed up, we messed up, but I'm going to own it. And we're going to, you know, shape that narrative of like, we're trying to work on it to get better. And I feel like you understood that as well as anybody. Yeah, no, I agree. Appreciate that. (laughs) So, Will, you mentioned some of the differences between, uh, or you alluded to some of the differences between the places you'd been and Washington. Could you kind of dig in that a little bit deeper? Like, what is it like playing in Green Bay? And how did that compare to 2015, 2016 Washington? I have some insight there, too, but I was just a puppy at the time. I had only been here. You had been around for a while, seen some different stuff. So can you talk about that? 
Well, I think um, at the end of the day, the the common denominator is, I mean, it's <laughs> it's right on it's right on par with everything. But every organization, the foundation is upstairs, you know. <laughs> and the, no, seriously, and no, that's, I believe it's it. Yeah. The, um, it's it starts it starts at the top, you know, from uh, from the executives to the front office, all the way down. And when that is when when people are getting along up there and making making proper decisions that have has to do with the football team, um, that's where it shines the most. And in Green Bay, that's that's where it was. Um, you know, up there with, with Murphy and and Thompson, and you know, making decisions. And also, we had some like. We had a bunch of Hall of Famers on that team too, so that helped. Tends to help. <laughs> it does. And then going going to New York, same thing, you know, with the Maris and, and Tish family, and you know, with uh, Jerry Reese and Coughlin, like they were all on the same page, um, making decisions. And then you know, my first taste of like, okay, guys trying to figure out was was in Jacksonville. I when I was signed there, uh, Dave Caldwell just took over. Shaq Khan just bought the team. Um, Gus Bradley just became the head coach. So they were all trying to figure out, you know, how do we get on the same page? And um, obviously it showed a little bit. Eventually, you know, they ended up having that one team uh, that almost went to the Super Bowl um, a couple of years back. And then, yeah, and then, then I, I saw like, okay, this is, this is really what it looked like. This is how, even when I was in Seattle for a, a brief moment, you know, with Paul Allen and John Schneider and Pete Carroll, all those guys getting on the same page um, to do what they did there. And then, yeah, getting, getting into Washington – um, things things seem to be like cool, you know, with Scott and and, and Bruce and, and Dan, everybody. Um, but I will say, the thing that did help us, like people people are still shocked. Like we we won a division in 2015 when I was there. Yeah. Despite all the nonsense that people heard about, whatever, the thing that saved us is that Scott McLuhan he got a, he got a lot of guys that been around the block. So when it came time to like play ball, like between the white lines, like we just play ball. So that was the that was why you know it ended up working out for the most part to win the division. So it's um it's a fine line, man. Like anything, it's the foundation. If that's if that's cool, if that's in place, that helps a lot. Yeah, and so I think a lot of fans think of uh, think of the team and say, oh, you feel like you have a lot of interaction with the owner, you have a lot of interaction with the GM, but oftentimes that isn't the case. You as a you you are a smart guy, and you've been like like you've played it for a lot of different teams. What are some of those kind of subtle things that show up in a locker room or in a coaching staff that indicates that the leadership is a little, you know, they're not on the same page necessarily? In your opinion, amongst the players, amongst the players, or amongst the organization, like how do you like? Because you go to sometimes like I played for five six teams when I in the NFL, and like you go to a place and you can kind of immediately tell, oh, this is good, this is right but you don't interact with those people making the leadership decisions. So like, what are the things in your experience that kind of say, this is an organization going in the right direction, or this is an organization that is kind of struggling to find itself? I think when you see, I mean, they're all different. I would say like in the, when I was in New York on the Giants, Coach Kaufman put together a leadership committee um, mm. that was like, you know, obviously Eli and Tuck and, um, and Charles Roll and Dion Grant and David Deal, like, you know, the, the main guys. And he would meet with them, I think, like once a week just to see, like, how are things going. Mm. But a lot of the stuff, if there was any drama within the team or locker room, it didn't, it didn't get to Coughlin oh, unless, sure. unless, unless it got out of hand. And so you really saw, like, okay, the, the players here really policed 
uh, the locker room and and they had a standard. Like I was talking to somebody yesterday. I was training. Um, I was training Keith Taylor, the cornerback for the Panthers, and I was saying like, dude, like, you know, you would get beat up in that locker room if you try to mess up what we had going on. Like, like straight up, you know, you would, you would, they would let you know uh, how they felt, and and everyone held each other accountable. You know, it's it's the simplest things. Like, are you willing to listen? Are you willing to follow and lead? Are you willing to hold someone accountable? But but know like where it's coming from, and that's hard. That's hard to do in, in a in a place where, especially in professional sports, where guys are getting paid. There's egos everywhere. You know the 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 best coaches are able to manage a room full of egos. That's why. You know you'll see coaches like I love I love the fact that Doug Peterson is now going to Jacksonville, and because he's he showed like he can he can do that. He's won a Super Bowl. Um, so I think those are the things that I see, like, Hey, our guys willing to listen, our guys, you know, our guys to themselves, you know, when practice is over, our guys just like going to the lockers and piecing out our guys like, Hey, grabbing each other. Hey, come over here and let's, you know, work out a little more. Let's go on the field and do a little more preparation. Hey, let's go on the film and watch a little more. Hey, our, our guys eating together. Like those things, those things are a huge deal. And sometimes in places you can see where there's no connection. Like when I first went to Jacksonville, there was no kind of chemistry, no culture there. Like guys did not know like how to do it. So I, I instantly, my first day in Jacksonville, I remember when we got our place, there was actually a room upstairs that had a huge TV projector. And I told, I told the guys after practice, I was like, look, you know, I have this projector. You guys are down to come over and watch film. My wife will make food. Because um, I, knew, I knew that's how it worked. Mm-hmm. That's that's how it worked. Like you had to you had to study, to, especially like in the secondary. Like you have to study together because that's the one. That's the one I think position group where it's super interchangeable. Like if one guy has like rolls his ankle, you got to bring somebody in who probably hasn't practiced all week uh, with the starters, and you just have to be on the same page, or else you know it's gonna blow up. Yeah, and I remember some of those years. I can't remember. Were you still here, like when Josh had the famous meeting to get everybody? I think you were gone by then. But like, it was the year that like Swearinger was here, and they they were able to turn it around by doing some of that stuff. Um, I heard they had a fight. I mean, yeah, sometimes that works too. Though. That works too. The opposite. <laughs> well, there they, both happened. Both happened. I don't know if the fight ever got out. Uh, so I don't know how <laughs> much I'm allowed to say about out. that. But uh, yeah, someone someone got knocked out, and it wasn't who you think it was. Uh, so I'll, I'll just I'll just leave that there. Um, one of the things that you mentioned though, or Logan, kind of in the setup of your question, you talk about like in the locker room. Will one of the things that you noticed when you got here was the locker room? Can you tell the story of how you and Josh got the Washington Commanders facility uh, Bro, changed? I, I had nothing to do with that. Oh come on! Oh, you oh, definitely no, had something I, to do I with did. That. I swear. I came, I showed up and I'm like, okay, this is outdated. You know, I remember Tom Carter at NFLPA. He was like, these are lockers I had. You know, back in '92. <laughs> uh, not kidding. Dead serious. What I what I heard, what I heard is when when we went all in to get Josh and brought him and signed him, brought him in. The crazy thing too is the the his was his was was messed up. Is part of the part of the uh, way to lure Josh in is they text Josh a a picture of. Uh, jersey number 24 and, and dookie and nacho had that jersey so i was like <laughs> like damn dude he's still like they didn't even talk to duke about it so they go ahead and uh we obviously we signed josh bring him in he's walking around he looks at the locker room and apparently this he's been some like mumbling like what the hell is this like what is this 
Like, this looks terrible, is what I heard. And apparently, word got back to, to Dan, to Mr. Snyder, and I think we broke ground, like, the next week and and changed the whole lot. <laughs> so, Wasn't there, like, a I signed heard. letter and the whole thing? Oh, yeah, that's right, a petition. That's right. There was a petition to get people to sign to get a new locker. I don't know if I signed that damn thing. I didn't yeah. really care, bro. I just wanted to play football. I was just happy to like have an opportunity. But yeah, locker, that locker room was pretty bad. I'm not gonna lie. How was yeah, Logan? Uh, how it was, was it was the one that you you got to play. It didn't get changed before you left. No, Sorry. It, no, Sorry it, about it, that. It, it, I played in the new locker room. I was there for a little bit, and then, yeah, uh-huh. and uh, I was there for like the off season maybe or that season. It was it was so weird going from like straight garbage i remember coming in out of ucla and you know you say it's not like the best facilities in the world but i came in and was like oh there's like one cold tub here there's like four training tables there's like a locker that's made out of like plywood it was just like it was just such a different vibe you know you come to the nfl you're expecting kind of this grandiose thing and then you get guys like will come to the locker room i remember john beck had come from baltimore and was like this is and John was not one to kind of like be mean. He was very. John mean. is not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he's he very was nice. by me. He was he very near me. He's so nice. He's dude. very nice. <laughs> and for him to just be like, "This is not it," was like the worst thing he could have said about anything. So it, there was definitely like for the people who were brought in like as rookies, they didn't know any different. But guys who had been around, they could tell you that that facility was not up to snuff. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. You know, so you played with Josh Will, and um, he's a guy that was like a high-profile, very productive player in Carolina, and then had his struggles here uh, a little bit in Washington. Can you talk about why that's difficult for some DBs to kind of switch environments? And you've played in multiple systems and things like that. Like, what sure. makes it challenging? Well, I think um, <clears throat> you're going to a completely different place. Mm-hmm. You know, he. Um, I mean, when he's in Carolina, I mean, everything was like perfect there. You had you know, McDermott, you had Leslie Frazier, you had the, you know, the mm. Buffalo crew there running the defense. You had, you know, Keekley and Davis. You had an unreal defensive line, you know. You had, uh, I mean, they, they were a Super Bowl team. Yeah. And so you had a lot, and they had, like, the perfect chemistry. That's what I'm saying. Like, they had the perfect chemistry, the perfect, perfect culture where he can just do his job on his side. And then, you know, when you go to a different place where it's a, it's a different system, it's a different style, you don't have the same, you know, Hall of Fame players around you that you're looking for. It's, it's a different place. And then you, a lot now the spotlight is really on you. You know, when you were watching the Panthers preparing for them, you're like, OK, where the hell is Luke Keekley at? Mm-hmm. Because he's the one that's wrecking everything that's causing major problems. 
now like that wasn't that wasn't the case so now the spotlight is really on him so you know in his first year obviously people are still trying to figure out who josh is and you know he made his plays he you know uh, went out there and, and played super aggressive and he and josh worked really 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 hard now the tough thing is is how do you how do you have an encore how do you continue to have success throughout your your career when when you have a target on your back and what you do is you have to you have to beat other teams to the punch because now all they're doing they're just watching you like what do you do that is that is vulnerable that that we can take advantage of and i think a lot of teams end up taking advantage of josh's aggressiveness because he would jump a lot of things and so like you know like they were i remember the minnesota game versus like Thielen when he wasn't known. They ran a couple of double moves on him. So I think double moves was the thing where it's like, okay, he probably could have prepared a little more uh, where, where the, he could have had a, a, an outstanding career in Washington. And a lot of it, you know, a lot of it too is sometimes when you bring in a high-profile guy, I think, and, and he, he, had a strong, he had strong energy, I think coaches too are – afraid to like challenge him, mm, right. you know and i think that's a problem with a lot of places like you get a high profile guy it's like hey we're gonna let him do his thing we're afraid to challenge him and i don't think that coaches like really try to challenge him in a way that they should have now and so sometimes like and that's why like i love when i moved to safety because i got to the point where i was like okay i really knew i really knew my guys mm-hmm. i knew josh was aggressive right I knew I knew his playing style, so I was like, "Let me study to a situation where I can like try to help him shine when I'm out there." And because when I was when I was playing safety, I don't think Josh gave up one deep ball when I was back there at safety. Now we had we had a weird rotation where like you know I would come in on this situation, someone so would come in here. Like it was it was weird, but I just know when I was back there. Like a perfect example, I I think it was we played Cincinnati that stupid tie game in London. Um, oh that, god, that, dude! That was. I was worst. on post game that game, just waiting Were for that thing really to be just, over. Dude, I was, was sitting in the studio like, "Come on, really, bro?" Which I'm sure you were on the sideline saying, "Come on." Well, that come was on, bad because really? that's the game I fractured my thumb and then went to this. That's another story I'll get to. Anyhow, <laughs> I'm back. I know I'm back. It's funny. So I'm back there, and I remember like Cincinnati would come in these closet formation and run, you know, two stacks, and they were on double outs. And we had a call. I think Joe Barry called. We ran a lot of cover three that year. He called cover three. And I saw the formation. I'm like, okay, there's a high probability they're going to run this route. Uh, double sticks. So I looked over. I was like, okay, I trust Kendall Fuller because he was a stud, young, super smart. Breland was, was playing super aggressive on his side because he was, I forgot who he was fighting with. He, he was fighting with somebody every game, right? Um, and, and then I knew, okay, Josh like wants to really make a play. He's covering AJ Green. He really wants to make a play. So I was like, okay. I looked at Josh. I'm like, bro. I said sticks are coming. I said just jump it. And it's cover three. So cover three. He has a deep third. Right. Right. And I'm pretty sure I got to go back and see it. But I'm pretty sure I told him to jump that route. And sure enough, that was the one where he jumped it and it hit him in the chest. He could have had an easy pick six. Uh, and so sometimes I would like a lot of times I would study above and beyond and give him certain things because I wanted to help him shine. Even though I'm like. Bro, you got to prepare yourself too, you know. So I just think for him, if he was challenged more uh, when he came over as a player, and also challenged more in terms of like just preparing a little harder, 
Because he, he prepared in terms of, like, he trained hard. He would stay after practice and do his drills. But just more so in the film study because that's the difference. You know, you can – I play with Charles Woodson who, who mm. barely practiced. He barely practiced. I, mean, I remember it drove McCarthy nuts because he was big on you got to practice. you got to be on the field. And there was a time where Charles didn't practice for, like, maybe three weeks. And he went out and got, like, two interceptions every single week. <laughs> and they're like, yo, what is going on? But he was – a wizard in terms of like the film preparation because um, once you uh, it, it truly is I, I tell and you guys seen it like every when you get to the nfl everyone is strong everyone is fast like it's a league full of mutants like everyone has some kind of superpower ability that's why you're there you know you get to the league because of like your ability but what is the difference is it's the mental part you know where you truly get to find some chink in somebody's armor, you know, because everyone has something, especially down to the coordinators. Every coordinator comes out and runs what they do the first 15 and then they get back to what they do. And, and you just have to trust uh, that that percentage. Mm. Uh, so I think if he for him, if he just did a better job prep, in preparation, <clears throat> he would he would have had a way, way more success. It's funny. I ran into Josh. I played in that that charity football game where Aaron Rodgers threw the football at the kid. I was I actually played in that thing, <laughs> which was crazy because he had a team. Josh Allen had a team. All these guys had like teams, and I remember he came over and he and I were talking. And Josh and I boys, I don't care talking about Josh. And he was like, I think I want to like try that hybrid nickel role like you and Woodson did. I was like, you can't play that role. He was like, why not? I said, because you gotta like prepare like crazy. I said, and you prepare differently. He goes, I study. I know football. I go, no, you do study. I said, but that's different. When I had when I played nickel, I had to know what the safety's doing, the linebackers doing, the linemen are doing. I had to know everything that's going on, like you know. And receivers had an eight way go trying to cover me. So, oh, me trying to cover them. So, right. To answer you, to finish that long ass answer, yes. If he just did a better <laughs> job pre- preparing, he could have had a. a way better career but i would i want to put the all on him i feel like he didn't get challenged enough and also like josh just to be clear like he was always a great i felt like a great teammate like he might know he could have worked a little bit harder in certain situations but always like very oh, he was cool uh, yeah he was room. outstanding yeah. dude yeah that's yeah. why he and i are cool are cool now like he was outstanding he was um you know always super giving um he took care of everybody he was a really he was a fantastic teammate no question about it um, but in terms of like down to like the science, like he, he could have did a better job preparing and that would have helped him a lot. And so do you think any of that struggle in terms of Josh applies to stuff you're seeing with William Jackson III at the moment, a guy who came from a very specific system, had some success there, and now is in a new spot? I know you don't know him personally, but you have played the position uh, at a high yeah. level for a long time. Well, he's reached out to me a long time ago. He was laughing because he was like, man, I used to use you in Madden. And I was like, bro, am I that old, man? Like, God damn, dog. You know what I mean? I think for – at the end of the day, right, the preparation does help you in terms of the confidence. By the way, I got, I got time, guys, so we're good. Um, it does help you with confidence. I think him coming over, that's what things have, guys have to get used to. When you, come, when you are a, a big signing, you're coming over from somewhere else, like – instant target on your back you know um and i think for him it was just more of uh, i saw him like lose a lot of his confidence last year in terms of that and that does you do start to take more chances you do start to look elsewhere so he may have let's say he does prepare really well he does study hard all week and has a good game plan but sometimes when 
when the pressure's on, the heat is on, you, you can do things uncharacteristic-wise. And I think sometimes he got caught up trying to do that. This is just my opinion. He, had, he, he got caught up doing that where he was susceptible to uh, giving up big plays. So, But, I mean, the, the ability's there, the talent's there. He just has to and stop fighting with Pac-Man, dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, leave him alone. <laughs> get, back to, get back to just football. Yeah. So, Logan, I would love for you to talk through some of the stuff that you saw in OTAs on tape and some of the, like, the very specific things and then let Will speak to what it's like to live that on the DB's end of it. Because yeah. I think some of the intricacies of what Logan saw watching practice, watching tape for, you know, a guy who was really successful in a man, you know, man heavy scheme in Cincinnati and some of the intricacies of playing zone. Um, are really interesting and, and were kind of fascinating from why he might be struggling from that mental processing side because he's still the same athlete. He's still phenomenally athletic, still has the same instincts, but applying them has certainly been a struggle. So, Will, you can speak to that from experience. Logan, what you see in OTAs and, and last year and some of those common threads? Yeah, so I think the thing that stuck out to me is like um, he, his alignment based on certain coverages seemed to be off. Like you mentioned the, the, the attached formations, right? He's playing those like inside leverages as opposed to playing just out like shading the receiver outside and then off of motion. He doesn't get to he doesn't like let's say they're playing quarters. He's playing inside. He's playing outside from a full width split. There's things like that that seem like kind of uncharacteristic or mm. like not putting himself in the right place to be successful. And then the other thing you mentioned, which I thought was great, is when you were playing nickel, like you and when you were playing safety, you had to know what everyone was doing. I also feel like he doesn't necessarily he's not totally aware of like certain coverage concepts and how the safety to his side is going to play and so what I mean by that is like I got to talk to one of the DB coaches here and they mentioned that they do they're trying to adopt like the Buffalo coverage philosophy which I guess is kind of by extension the Carolina coverage philosophy from when Josh was down there of matching concepts post snap and how it changes how you match concepts right so if number two is a vertical stem the safety kind of matches that a little bit differently than if they were taking like a 45 degree release and he just doesn't seem like he's totally comfortable with his pre-snap alignment and then some of those adjustments within the context of the defense and i understand that's a really challenging defense to play for defensive backs because the communication level needs to be so high and so i just wondered if you, provide, if you could provide any insight yeah yeah, in, in order clearly, in order for the Buffalo defense to work, you need two All Pro safeties because <laughs> that's that's exactly who they have. Right, uh, it's amazing how there. much talent helps. Oh, no doubt about it. But I will say that, but they they those two guys. Well, also, did, sorry work. to cut you up, but Green Bay runs a similar coverage philosophy with under Joe Barry now, and they are they're not as talented as Buffalo necessarily, but they make it work for that personnel. So, like, how could they make that work here? You know what I'm saying? I mean, that in terms of the plays being made, that is debatable because, I mean, shoot, Joe, Joe B had a top five defense last year. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, they end up, they, they, they showed out. But I think at the, at the end of the day, it is purely about communication. It is truly about, because even if you don't know, like if you, if you, you may know, but if no one says anything, now you have to like remind yourself. You know, that's that's the hard thing is what people don't understand is you you literally have maybe three seconds to process an entire week of information. You know, okay, let's say let's say the ball someone gets tackled, okay, we line up, okay, where's the ball at? Okay, it's on the you know, the the forty the plus forty five. Okay, what's the down and distance? Okay, let's say it's third and three. 
okay, who do they have in the game? Okay, they brought in 11 personnel. Who do we have in the game? Are we bringing in nickel? Are we bringing in dime? Okay, now I know third and five, it's it's manageable situation, so we can get everything. We can get a run. We can get a quick game. We can get all these things. What's our defense? You know, or I, I have us – he already gave us what the possible calls for third and five, and so I have an idea of what it might be. Are we matching this week? So maybe do I need to, like, look for my guy? Am I playing left side? Am I playing right side? Um, you know, if we go – base on the corner if i go if we go nickel on the nickel if we go dime i'm probably playing safety so uh, we didn't even get to the call yet we don't, yeah. we don't know what we're running right. and so boom we get the call and then right what's the formation because if it's empty we might check to something else if we right. prefer bringing pressure it might be this it might be that if somebody moves like an inch we might we might change the entire coverage or we might change the strength all these things or you know let's say they bring in like what the uh, Rams do, they bring in eleven personnel and they put you know the Cooper Cup in the backfield. Like that's, yeah. we got three to four seconds to boom, 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 boom. And so imagine if no one's talking and I'm going through it like I just did on my own versus like that's why in most cases you have one guy who does the personnel, you have one guy who does it down the distance, you have one guy who gives the coverage. That's the communication. Now we go. Are you out talking there about? On, are you talking about on the field, or are you talking about coaches from the on the field? Line? Okay, on the field. So the like I said, the ball is dead. Okay, yep. we come up. You know, one safety says, "Hey, it's third and five. The other safety says, "Hey, there's eleven personnel." The mm-hmm. linebacker gives the coverage, and then we we back out, and then instantly because we were all preparing all week, guys are talking, and now like things are coming back to you, and you remember. Okay, mm-hmm. I remember on this certain play, this certain coverage, I got to be outside leverage. Because I know so and so is coming here, or I need to be inside leverage. Because he'll, or maybe the safety is like, "Hey, on this play, like just play it like this. Trust me, yeah. play it like this." And because you guys spent time and study together, that so that's I'm telling you, communication. Because coaches will always say, "If you heard it before, if if one, if we mess up, make sure we all mess up. Make sure we all. Yeah. If I call cover three and you guys mess around, play cover two. Make sure everybody is playing cover two. Don't have half the secondaries playing this, half is playing that. So, like, that sounds a lot like offensive line play. And one of the things about offensive linemen is the longer the groups are together, the better they play. But when you look at Washington, for example, they've only been together for, like, basically a year and a half. How do you foster that level of trust and communication in a group, especially when they've got young players? I mean, Kendall Mm -hmm. Fuller's probably the exception, uh, but, you know, like, Cam Curl's not an old guy. Bobby uh, Bobby McCain's only been here for a year and a half. Like, how do you right. how do you build that trust with that group? Is that coaching or is that just veteran leadership coming in and basically being like, "Hey, we got to take this over"? It's a combination of all of the above. Yeah, because sometimes, like it, like the good coaches, they will they will they will really make that happen. But at the end of the day, it's what happens like when you leave the building. Mm. You know, that's that's what I had to learn in my first four years, because e- even as a student in school, right, you're in school all day for eight hours and you're like, you know, what? I just want to go home and put my books away and I'm done. But I didn't I learned, OK, then I come back the next day and I kind of forget a little bit of what we talked about yesterday. And I learned like to be a good student. OK, go home, put your stuff away. But then, you know, maybe spend 20 minutes and review your notes because that would just help bring it back before you go to sleep. And so that's the same thing I had to learn with football is like, okay, once I leave, sure, take a break, take a huge uh, mental break from all that stuff, go about my day. But then 
spend like an hour and just go over your notes and, and, and watch and you know watch tape and just have reminders so that when you come back the next day you know you have you have a better understanding and you know i think i think right now in terms of who they have back there was it chris harris right who who played yeah. uh, in the league you did know, you he, play with he him understands i did not play with chris oh, okay. yeah so he under so he understands that and i think he'll um, as long as he does a good job of terms of like expressing that, that makes the most sense. So, but again, it's his job to like give them the foundation and the game plan on how to do that. But it's also up to the players to go about themselves and really and just talk because because you have to you have to know the person. I, I go back to why is Legion of Boom the best secondary of all time? Because they were all best friends. Mm. They they you don't have to be best friends, but that's what made it work for them. They were always together. They all had insane, crazy egos. They were all brilliant. I got to spend like a summer with them when I was in training camp. They mm. were all super smart, super brilliant. Also, too, Chris Chris Richard, who's now in New Orleans, he like he led that room. He led that room, and and that's why it worked. Dude, that, uh, this is real quick. I know Craig, you got a question, but like for all the people listening to this, like that is the thing about longevity in the NFL is guys who are willing to do what Will just talked about. Like just put in that extra time off the field to make yourself that much better. Like for offensive guys, it's just knowing the game plan. And it sounds like for Will, it was the same thing. So uh, that's so good to hear. It's so good for people to hear. Like there, it's not just go to practice and go home. It's it's a lifestyle playing in the NFL, and I think Will advise that. No, it really, it really is, and it took me, it took me probably five years to figure that out, you know. And my saving grace is I was, I was a good special teams player, and I was a good mm. returner. So that, like, that bought me time because I didn't do much defensively, and I had a lot of injuries. So special teams, you don't really, you don't really need to think, bro. You just go out there, and you know, you know your guy. Returning, returner wise, I knew, I knew if it was. You know, if I right, double the outside middle. guys, no, no, seriously, if we double yeah. the outside guys, I knew like my guy, I just want to know who my guy was. Yeah. If I was returning, we double the outside guys. I knew the personal protector was scot free. I knew he had a free shot on me. So I'm like, okay. Or if we did, you know, we doubled one side, ran seven box. I knew like, okay, the, the gunner is probably the guy I need to worry about. So, so I just for people listening, like seven box, there's seven guys in the punt formation, and then you're doubling yeah. one of the gunners, and one of the gunner, gunners is single. And if you single a gunner in the NFL, that guy's usually as close to a free runner as you're going to get. So just for right, guys exactly. Yeah. So I, so that part I knew, but then, um, you know, when it came down to actually studying and, and wanting to make plays, because like I said, the biggest thing for me I, I learned, I mentioned earlier, was Charles Woods is making plays, but he's not practicing. Like how the hell does that work, yeah. you know? And I, and that's I I end up running. I try to go back and watch film one night, and I ran into him. He was actually studying, and he showed me some stuff. And and the cool thing too about like once you learn how to prepare and study, like it literally saves your body. Yeah, it does. And it was why? the same thing with Leonard because Fletcher. Leonard Fletcher was the same way. He wouldn't practice for weeks on end, but he would make every play on Sunday because he was in the film room just grinding. And that's right. Awesome. It's two things. It's like. Study and stay healthy. And studying saves your body because now you're early. You know, yeah. if you're just reacting like, okay, this could happen. And then now I'm running full speed to try to like knock this play out or knock this dude out. And, you know, it, sometimes, sometimes it hurts me more than it hurts them. <laughs> but now if I'm early because I know it's coming like, okay, perfect. D'Angelo Hall, when he was in Atlanta, he was playing with um, Kevin Mathis, I believe, uh, 
and he was just like, hey, he told D. Hall, hey, I heard the rumor is you ran a 4-1, you know, when you were training. He said, I ran a 4-5. He said, however, I'll get to that spot before you will. He said, because I know it's coming. And for D. Hall, he was like, that was a light switch. Like, I need mm. to start studying better because, like, you always hear in the combine, I want a guy who plays, who's a 4-5, who plays like a 4-5, not a guy who runs a 4-3 and plays like a 4-5. And it really is. Like, can, can, I, can I get there quicker? Can I, like, there's a time we, we were playing, I think I was in Jackson, we played the Chargers. We were in cover three, and I was a nickel. Cover three, the nickel, he has the flat, right? They kept running bubble screens to – I'll mention another VTech player to Eddie Royal. That bubble screen is not really designed for me because I got to go to the flat. But we knew third and 15, if Eddie Royal is two yards off the line of scrimmage and he's to the back, mm. he's getting the ball. Interesting. I found, I found three clips that season where he got the ball. If he was one yard off, it was like RPO right. or draw. If he was two yards off, it was fake RPO, draw, bubble. And so I'm the one that told everybody that. But then when we lined up, I was like, okay, I got a bust to the flat. And I remember Jonathan Cyprian was like, he was like, oh, Black, third and 15, third and 15. I said, oh, shoot. I said, yo, third and 15. I said, alert. I said, I didn't say alert bubble. I was like, yo, guys. I said, guys, be ready, be ready, be ready, be ready. As soon as the ball was snapped, I just, I blitzed. Uh-huh. I just blitzed. And we knocked it back like eight yards and the whole defense went crazy because we saw that on film all week. But that's, you know, it's, I was, I didn't, I didn't just do my job and go to the flat. I was like, Hey, if, if I see a play, I'm going to go make that damn play, you know? And that's when the preparation came in. I think that shows the, not only the attention to detail of you guys studying too, but like why details matter on the offensive side. Like I'm imagining, like I I think of the story that Jay told uh, on the podcast about how Crowder, you know, cheated this screen in this one Monday night game. I think it was that 2015 year where he's like, man, if he had just taken three steps instead of one step on the bubble screen, he's got a touchdown. It's the same thing. Like, I doubt Eddie Royal was supposed to line up two yards off the line of scrimmage. His splits were supposed to probably be the same so that it, you know, it wasn't a tip, but you find that little thing on tape and next thing you know, instead of the timing being right and, and you guys not knowing what's coming, you've got a deflection. But he has to, or, or he doesn't get the bubble. He has to be yeah. two yards or he doesn't That's- get the bubble. That's the thing is there's a lot of things in football, like when you're running like a flash block across formation, it's really hard to do that from tight because the O-line bleeds. So that guy will back yeah. up and you'll hear linebackers after Kyle ran that for two years from 2010 to 2012, they would just start yelling flash and you can only do so many things from there. Like Kyle was smart because he'd run a keeper, he'd run different uh, pass plays off of that. But you try to break that tendency, but there's certain things you physically can't do. So like when you're catching a bubble, if right. you're not two yards back, you 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 can't open your shoulder enough to get the ball. So it, it's there are like no and and that should and that play should have worked versus cover three. It right. should have worked because I was supposed to go to the flat and, you and then they would have right? sealed they would have sealed the DN and then they would have sent a tackle right at me. And so I was like, screw it. I'm just going to go. You know? And that's right. Oh, yeah. You well, know, like, it, it's one yard and that one yard is enough for a tip. And I think that's what that's like a great story to illustrate, like how small the margins are. In this but city. that's what I learned from Charles. He said Charles Wilson said if it shows up three times, he said he is jumping the route. He oh, said, if I love it shows that. Up on, he said if it shows up on film three times, he goes, I am jumping it. I'm playing the percentages because rarely mm-hmm. are they going to do something different. If you if you get there and it's this play was like it was third or 15. It's, you know, it's gun far, 
you know, bubble. Very, boom. If it lines up, just play it. Well, I think that's know? the thing, though. You're, you're getting there. Is that it's a? I think fans think, oh, three times, but it's three times in a very, very specific situation, specific and yeah. formation. And then if you have both of those things locked down, like it's basically Bible at that point. Like you might as well, you know, take advantage of it. I think that's fantastic. I, speaking of Shanahan, I saw the craziest thing that Shanahan did when he was in Cleveland. This okay. is like, this is like me digging in the archives being super freaking weird man i know if you could swear in this pause i wasn't gonna wear i I swear a lot i'll bleep it go ahead okay (laughs) so i so when i was in jacksonville we played cleveland and i always go back and i just try to find certain things and at the time they had taylor gabriel oh yeah who never who never got the ball never got the ball but when he did he ran he ran a double move and i'm Mm. like okay but when when it when is he running these double moves? And I'm like, okay, double move. I'm looking, I'm looking, okay, formation, this form. And it was like a couple of different formations. And I looked at the clock and it was like it was like maybe like 14 minutes and 55 seconds. Maybe it was, you know, 14 minutes and like four like whatever it was. Very um... And I'm like, oh, this is the this is the first play in the second half. First play in the second half. If they get the ball and Taylor Gabriel's out there, I was like, it is a double move. <laughs> he was never on the field, ever. And so I remember we playing Cleveland. I'm in the locker room, and then we're going over stuff. And then um, they're like, all right, defense up, defense is up. I said, oh, shit. I was like, yo. <laughs> I call I, I call our cornerback. I was like, yo, guys. I said, remember the, the thing I showed you on Saturday night, like Taylor Gabriel? I said, look. And a lot of guys heard. I said, "Look, if Taylor Gabriel, if you see Taylor Gabriel trotting on the field, you guys be like, don't even, don't even bite on anything. Just stay back." And so we had, I think we had base on the field, so I was on the field, but I'm on the same side of Taylor Gabriel and Dwayne Grotz. I'm like, bro, I said, this is it. This is it. I said, trust me. And so he's like, all right, like I'm not gonna jump it. Sure enough, bro, like ball snap. He does a stutter within the first three. I said, if you stutter within the first three yards, I said, don't bite it. Yeah. That's, that's a dead giveaway. And sure enough, he stuttered and ran a go, and the quarterback threw it anyway. Yeah. And then Dwayne Grotz almost picked it. He knocked it down. I remember a couple guys looked on the, on the side and looked at me. I said, that's how, that's how it is. Yeah. That's well, dude, how it's, it is. It's so funny because, like, having played for Kyle in that offense for most of my career – like, that's what his philosophy is. Like, in certain situations, he wants to take shots. So, like, backed up, most people want to, like, you know, quarterback sneak that sucker out. Kyle's like, we're taking shots. First play of the second half, we're taking shots. And that's, like, <laughs> yes. that's, that's who he is, you know? And so that doesn't, yes. like, change necessarily. Like, that's, that's, that style of shot will change, but that's what he wants to do. So I think that's great you picked that up. Logan, are you going to get a call from Kyle now that we exposed his one of his shot no, it's on opportunities? Tape. It's on, on tape. Yeah, like that's what everyone says. Like, oh, like apparently you're the only, not the only one, but you, it, it's hard. Like, it's funny though because like the way you watch tape, like I think sometimes people, fans don't, also don't understand how tape works. And like yeah. from the very uh, elementary level tape study that I did when I was a beat reporter, like I got to understand this a little bit. But like, it's cut ups. It's not like you're watching the game. So like the idea of game flow and things like that. Sometimes you just get lost because you're almost watching plays individually right. then you're like wait no you know sometimes you do get lost and, you all the time. Get yeah. lost. and so that 
that idea of like a timestamp is actually like way harder than if you were actually just watching the TV copy because then you're in the flow right. of the game. Because at the so, end so of the day, to notice yeah, something like that, yeah, it's on tape, but you got to know, you got to actually have the wherewithal to be like, wait, where, what is the pattern here? Yeah. Right. Because at the end of the day, the NFL is situational football. That's Love why, it. that's why Bill Belichick's always in it. That's why Tom Brady's always in it because they win the situations. Period. You know, if you if you win, you know, two minutes at the half, you win two minutes at the end of the game, you win third down, you red win zone. like you red, you win red zone, you're gonna you're, you're gonna your probability is gonna go up tremendously. And that's I'm meeting with guys later. You know, I have some young guys in town uh, in the NFL, and a lot of things I do is you know you have all these trainers that they train on the field. I'm like, dude, there's only so many drills you can freaking do. You oh, know? dude, hundred percent. I said, oh, but what I do a lot of I. I train a lot of guys how to watch tape um, because, as you mentioned, it's the hardest thing to do. Like you mentioned, the full games. I didn't. I watched a full game Monday, and I watched full games maybe Friday or Saturday. Helps you get a feel but, for the how they're calling the yeah. game. Yeah. But in between, I I rarely Never. watch a full game. You just don't. So I'll I'll take you quickly just th- through my week. Right. Let's say okay, game's yep. over Sunday. Um, if it's a Sunday night game, I'll probably Obviously, I won't watch and they'll go to bed. But if we have an early game, I might just watch the, the games on TV. I probably won't even watch ours. And then Monday morning, obviously, we'll review it. I'll probably review it before the team does. And then we introduce the new opponent. And then maybe Monday, I'll, start, I'll watch their last game just to, like, see what they did. You know, I'll watch it like a fan. Tuesday is technically is, is our day off. But I'll watch uh, first and second down. Because on Wednesday, we're going to go over first and second down. So I kind of have a head start what's going on. And then we go over it on Wednesday. We have practice. And after practice, I'll review first and second down. Again, right? You go home. Let me review it for like 20 minutes. And then and then on the same night, I'll preview third down. Because on Thursdays, we're going to go over third down. And then obviously, same thing, right? We go over third down as a group. We have practice, and then I'll go home, and I'll review third down. Or sometimes I'll come back to the facility. At Thursdays, I usually have, like, my DB nights. I'll buy food, and everybody comes. We all watch tape. Um, and then Friday, and then Thursday night, I'll preview red zone, two-minute, short, short yardage, goal line, whatever. Then Friday, afterwards, I'll review. But Friday is kind of like the, I'll take the night to myself and, you know, go hang with my family, go hang with the fellows or whatever. And then Saturday comes. Now – I already watched all the situations. Now I'm watching full games. I already have the call sheet. So now I play the game. I play the right. game. So, okay, first, second down, these are the calls we're going to run. So I match the calls, right? And then third down comes. Okay, third down, third and seven, third and ten, we're probably going to run pressure because they got to get the ball out. So I'll call those, and then I'll just, I'll just play a game as the coordinator. And then it is the craziest thing, bro. You go out there on Sunday, and you're like, dude – now, now Sunday's the easiest part. Sunday's the easiest part. I hate practice. Sunday's the easiest part. Now, in between there, I will sprinkle like certain things. Like when I was in Washington in sixteen, I played every position. So Perry Fuel had I had a matchup every week. So like one week I had OBJ, one week I had Greg Olson, one week I had like I had a guy every week. So I would chart and study those guys. Uh, a huge person that helped us was RB Pleasant. Uh, I think he was. One of Aubrey, the yeah, he's best, what is he? Best DC, second day, and DC. he's the uh, he's a coach and he's a DB coach in uh, Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
because he's the one that gave me all the info on OBJ. Yeah. Um, in terms of like, if OBJ catches the ball between the hash of numbers, he's he's scoring a touchdown. And he said that, and we were like, all right. He showed us like a three minute clip of him catching the ball between the hash of numbers, and OBJ took that damn thing 60, 70 yards yeah. every single time. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. crazy. It was crazy. So that's the, like it's, it's that long. But you have to. I tell guys, you have to train yourself to do that. You have to train yeah. yourself. So I remember one of my guys was like, "Oh, you know, OTAs is kind of, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's kind of chill and kind of a waste of time." I was like, "Oh no, 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 no!" I said, "OTAs is not a waste of time." Yes, you guys are running the basic stuff in practice, and you get to move around, play football. I said, "But this is where you OTAs is when you get to establish your routine." This is where you get to train yourself how to study, and you get to train yourself on how to stay healthy all week. Um, th- this is this is like the, this is crucial because you're you're done by twelve. Yeah. You know what? What do you? Were you going home to do what? You know. Do what? I caught up on Game of Thrones. I did that. I watched the whole damn thing in like in like two days, and I worked on a on a vineyard. Um, we'll get to that obviously, but this is where you get to train and learn how to prepare yourself for what now 17 weeks is during OTAs. That's what people don't understand. That's what people don't teach. That's what people don't show. You're like, oh, we're just here to practice and go home and practice. Like, no, you, you, you create your routine because once you do that, that's where you, you, know, you play seven plus years instantly. Yeah. Um, one more defensive question, at least for me. And then uh, I know Robert, Robert Griffin III made a comment about this Washington offense that, that you have some thoughts on. And then I do want to get into a little bit of the wine stuff. But, you know, earlier when we were talking about Josh, one of the other things he used to always talk about comparing the Washington days to the Carolina days was he's like, I, I could jump everything because I had to cover for two and a half seconds. Our pass rush was, was that no good. No doubt about it. So when you look at the current Washington D-line, if Chase gets back healthy, if Montez continues to develop the, the group that they have, how much easier does that make your life as a secondary? And do you think this this Washington defense, much hyped, is is actually up to that hype uh, if if they can get the pieces back on the field Bro, this year? I mean, what they got like six first round picks like up there, including the linebacker, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, five yeah. defensive linemen, a second round pick from this year, and then the linebacker. Yeah, so five if you count the linebacker. So they're they've been Dude, busy so, for sure. So the the talent the talent is there. The talent is there, and it's it's going to be up to, you know, the, the coaching staff to get them right. The talent, it, it's there. And, again, it comes back to pushing the guys, like really mm. challenging them and, and creating that kind of continuity. But it's also it's going to be amongst the guys, too. Like, you guys are all first-round picks. You guys are all paid. Like, let's, let's get it. it. And when, when, guys under, when guys understand that, if they understand this, this is any team. This is any team, this is any corporation, this is any partnership business. If we win, we all get paid. <laughs> Period. Period. Facts. Coaches, coaches get playoff bonuses. If we all win, we all get paid in, in some form or fashion, whether it's the playoff bonuses, whether it's a new contract, whether it's opportunity outside of football. You know? Me, me using... The fact that I'm a Super Bowl champ is a big deal. Me just saying that is a big deal. Sure, I was the returner in that game. You know, mainly I was. I did that mainly in special teams. I didn't like having any main defensive plays. But the fact that I play in the game, and I have guys who didn't even touch the field who use they use that. It's you could put that in your profile in your bio for for business. 
A lot of guys have been super successful with that. If you win, it's all good. Like, everyone gets a chance. Like, look at, I mean, half the damn, pretty much all the D-line is Alabama. If you play for Nick Saban, they're like, we're going to give you a chance because you know what it looks like to win. You know what I'm saying? Right. Or back in the day, the, the Miami teams. Um, I, I remember Miami had a linebacker who barely played. I think it was like Leon Williams or something like that. But he, like, ran a 4-4, and he was a linebacker. And, you know, because you played on that team, we're going to give you a chance. Um, so that's it. I think that's all it is. Just, just, just be on the same page. Because that's what we had in New York when we won the Super Bowl. We had a, we had a, I think we had an eight-man rotation. We had an eight-man rotation on the D-line. We had O.C. Mignor. We had yeah. JPP. We had Justin Tuck. We had Rocky Bernard. We had Chris Canty. We had Dave Tolleson. We had, dude, we had all these dudes just healthy, fresh. It's, I'm so glad you brought that up because like, when you look at the teams that are really good in terms of defensive production, like Seattle, they had, a, they had an eight-man basically hockey rotation defensive line. Philadelphia, when they yep. went to the Super Bowl, eight-man hockey rotation defensive line. You need that depth. You need those pieces who can take advantage of one-on-ones and make the whole defense right. better. So, yeah, I'm 100% on board with that. Switching gears to the offensive side of the ball real quick. Uh, RG3, you know, he he uh he had he had a, a nondescript time here uh during his his run. Were you, you, know, were you here with you guys? My, you that was my locker mate. That oh, was my locker was mate. Not. Yeah, was yeah really? dude. Will Will yeah. and Robert were right next to each other in that 2015, which was my first year on the beat. Logan, that was your last, last year? year. Yeah, I think I was yeah. I played the the summer of 16, like the training camp, and then I was in Chicago for 16 season. But yeah, I got to hang out with Will a little bit. Left an impression, obviously. Yes. So you guys, that, that was like the Venn diagram of Robert Griffin III, my dumbass, uh, <laughs> Logan Will, was 20, that 2015, 2016, uh, when we were all here. Uh, but Robert tweeted, this is the most dynamic commander's offense in the last decade. Solid O-line, playmaking tight end, explosive running back room with Gibson as the lead dog, Scary Terry, Dotson, Samuel leading the wide receiver room with depth behind them. Carson Wentz has a lot to work with. Um, I do think it is on paper the most dynamic offense they had actually since that 16 team. Since. When, uh, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Since Deshaun and Pierre and Jamison is a rookie and, and that group was all here. Jordan Reed still at the peak of his powers. Mm. Um, but, you know, how, how, do you, how does this group compare to that group and, and some of the other ones that we've seen uh, in between? Yeah. I mean, like you said, since. Since. Because, right, <laughs> Pierre and Deshaun both had a thousand yards. Like I just, yeah. I just pulled it up. They, they did. Um, Vernon made big plays. Obviously, Jordan was 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 huge um, for when he was out there. And then, I mean, O line was was Trent Spencer, Brandon, and Morgan. Yeah, you know, Maulers. And and and, and Sean was in it. Maulers, right? Yeah. Trent, Trent, Brandon, Spencer. Well, Mundo Morgan, Brandon, Trent, all got. I mean, shoot, Trent's still 99 overall. Yeah, I just yeah. saw that today. I mean, yeah. he, it, it's crazy. And so, and then, I mean, we can say we want. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm taking Kirk every day over Carson. Like, mm. you know, like, I mean, Kirk, Kirk is a, despite what you want to say, he is a walking 4,000 yards, 25 TDs. Yeah. Walking. And the only time he's missed games is because COVID, you yeah. know, so he's going to be there. Um, obviously, in terms of like the upside and whatever you want to say, what Carson like, 
yes, it's it's there, but everyone's still waiting for seventeen. They're still waiting for like two thousand seventeen to come back because he he was lights out that year, you know. So, but yeah, this is the most dynamic. If these guys continue, to, if they can just stay healthy all year, um, if uh, who's going to play Zampezi, right? Is is calling the place? Or is it Scott? I think, I think Scott's Scott, still. Yeah, yeah, Scott's still. Yeah, Scott. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and Scott just does his thing. Um, it's funny. I ran to his dad at the airport in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> and Norv loves wine, by the way. Um, and so, yeah. But I think that's actually an interesting point, though, Will, is like the other, you know, we talk about the, the dynamic nature of this offense. The other main thing was like that 16 staff had Jay and Sean. Yeah. And this one, I, I think, Scott, there's a lot of questions there. And, if all these pieces are healthy, we're going to get the answers. Because if he can't make this amount of talent sing, like that is a very bad reflection of him. Uh, yeah, but and and it is, but it is, it is initially right in a reflection of him. But still, like I think this is. I think Carson knows like this is kind of. I was gonna say he got he got to figure it out. He he's got to grow up and and truly and truly like lead from like a genuine perspective. And and I think. I think for him, like guys, guys, what we're saying, I'm sure guys on that team feel that and know that. So they're like, okay, let's let's see, let's see, let's see what happens here. Let's try to make this thing work, you know. And thank God, they paid they paid the captain in in, in Terry. Um, I I think he is absolutely just just dynamite um, in terms of what he has done for that organization and what he is doing because he's the one constant you know i think when everything hits the fan hits the fan he is he still remains uh constant i think he's going to be a huge help for him because he i mean he made it work with heineke you know yeah. like he, yeah. he was i mean he's on he's on film talking about trying to make this work and trusting him because he knows like if i can just build up this guy and make him better like the lebron effect like i'll make the extra pass because if i build if i give this guy confidence then when it matters when I and I need him, he's there because I facilitated that throughout the season. Like I got him confident. I got him confident. And so I think that's a big deal. And then obviously if, if Gibson can just hold on to the rock, that's gonna be massive. Mm. So um in terms of talent, it, it could be there. I love I love Dotson. I mean he I can watch his Penn State highlights all day long. Um, yeah. so well, yeah, I think Logan actually has. Yeah, I've watched a lot of <laughs> watched a lot of John. Um, I will say though that when you when you talked about that uh, 2016 team, the thing that really stands out as being drastically different is the offensive line. I mean, that was one of the best offensive lines, definitely in the division, probably in the NFL that year. And then you look at yeah, Laval was even awesome yeah. that year as the, as the left guard, like the other yeah. guy, like he was fantastic. And then you look at like, this group, which I like the guys; they're all good guys, they all work hard, but it's not the same kind of group. And can they allow you to tap into Carson? Can they allow you to tap into this down the field stuff? Because, you right. know, like Terry has excellent vertical speed. Jahan, you mentioned his highlights. Like his down to down play, Will, is outstanding. You'd love it. And then having a guy like Curtis Samuel who can make some of those uh, kind of special gadget plays, but you got to be able to protect it to get it done. And uh, that, that comparison is really interesting because that group in 16 was very, very special. Like, I remember playing yeah, in and, Chicago and, against them and just being like, this group is unreal. Is that the five pit game? Uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, the D Hall five pit no, game? This no, this was Barkley. No, yeah, Barkley five. Barkley had five, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That was December that, that year. That was a rough game because, like, I remember the first drive, just like their offensive line walked out, their skill guys walked out, and I was like, there's no way we're even 
competitive with them and they're like oh like i remember the whole week oh like we can beat him this guy sucks i'm like he's better than anybody we have on this team you know what i mean because that team was not very good at the time so i digress but yeah that that to me that's the biggest differentiator between um this group in in 2022 and 2016 i got a pick again from phil from film study that game yeah i (laughs) i remember you guys played green bay yep and i was like okay in cover two, he, sometimes Matt Barkley, he'll sail the seam ball Yeah. in cover two to Alshon. And he sailed it, and he hit Ha-Ha Clinton Dix right in the chest. Yep. And all, all Ha-Ha did was he just did his job and stayed where he was. So I knew this week we had a lot of cover two going in. So I'll, And I had an issue. Sometimes I would weave a little bit in cover mm-hmm. two. Like we played Detroit, and, and Detroit sent – they sent an over out right in front of me, mm-hmm. and I weaved a little bit. And Matt Stafford, you know, threw the go ball. I ended up uh, speed turning and still make the play on it. And so this week I said, just stay home, have enough depth. There's a chance that Matt Barkley might sail this this seam route. And sure enough, like we play cover two, I was right over Alshon. And I, I was like, let me just do my job. Just do your job. And sure enough, I pedaled. I looked back, and that ball was, it was like a punt. It hit me right in the chest with cast on and everything. And, you know, again, that's just. Had a 79 yard return, apparently, too. I got the box score. It was Christmas Eve 2016. Yeah, and I got tripped. Uh, Rashad had two. Jano had two. You had one. That was a rough. That was a rough. That Chicago Bears team was. Mac Brown had a long run that game, too, I think. Yeah, it was a rough game. Like, rough team. It did. Had a 61 yarder. It was tough. Uh,. Kirk, Kirk a solid 18 to 29 for 270. I told you, solid, man. That solid. Yeah. Barkley did throw for 323 with two touchdowns, five picks. That's because we were, so. dude, we were just like trying to get everything. Yeah. We didn't. I think we it was like, yeah, it was like Christmas Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, something like that. And I could just Christmas feel Eve. it. I could feel they were like, we want to get the hell out of here. Like we ran a fake punt and everything. We did all this crazy shit And then it was just like, like they were just there. It was like when you're playing with your big brother, you know? And, like, the big brother is in total control of everything you're doing. And that's how I felt. And, like, our coaches are on the side, like, oh, we got him. We're right. And I'm like, no, like, this game, we're not even in this game. Like, from the kickoff. We, we <laughs> definitively do not got him. Uh, all right, last thing uh, before we let you go, Will. Uh, how'd you get into to the wine game? Oh, uh, my you, God. I see the hat you there, the wine that, MVP. Bro, it's, it's documented. God, I know, I know, but like for for, for our, our audience, audience, the short version. No, if, the, if people so want the, the if people want the long version, yeah, so they, the can short, go, the, they can yeah, go. They can go. The find short it. version is, <clears throat> I started. I enjoyed it, like you know, when I was in college, and then I was. I thought it was kind of frowned upon going to the NFL. Like I was in Green Bay, it was beer drinking town. You know, like nobody wants to <laughs> mm-hmm. see me drinking wine. And but Charles Woodson drank wine, and I was like, okay, no one's gonna say nothing to him. That's our best player. So he he instantly just made it like super cool. And then to see that he was in the business was even like even more rad. Like, okay, that's dope. Like, he's NFL player, African-American guy, and he has his own wine. I thought that was sick. And so uh, every weekend he would take us out, uh, every road trip he would take us out to dinner, the DBs, and he would, like, you know, wine and dine us, which I thought was pretty cool. And so I kind of wanted to know more. Like, I, I kind of draw comparisons when it comes to football because with football, I'm a, I, was, I was that kid, you know. I studied everything. I collected cars. I collected jerseys. I had all the almanacs. I had all the NFL films. Uh, I mean, I, I remember John Facenda's voice, you know. Who knows? Who remembers the hell John Facenda was at my age? Me, you know. And um, Sam Spence was the composer. Like, I knew all that. I was psycho. Like, I love football. Mm-hmm. And so I was a huge historian when it came to that. And 
I kind of felt the same with, with, with wine. You know, people look at wine and instantly it's like, oh, it's a cool lifestyle. You know, you look at LeBron buying wines that no one else can afford. And it's, it's just like super crazy. But I really like the stories, the viticulture, the history, the geography. That's what really captivated me. Um, like those who 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 started making wine paved the way. And, and, and it's connected to me. It's connected me to people I never thought like I would I would run into anytime soon. Um, you know, like when it first came out, I think Mike Jones wrote the article um, for USA Today when it came out what I was doing. I mean, the first two people that called me was Stan Kroenke and Drew Bledsoe. Mm. Like, hey. Oh, damn. Know, yeah, right. Hey, whatever you need, like, let us know. We're down to help you out. And, and they reached out. And, it, and I had a wine event during the Super Bowl, and then Warren Moon showed up. And I was like, oh, what's up, man? Like, thanks for coming by. He goes, man, I saw what you were doing. I think it's super cool. I, I want to help you in any way. So that was super cool. And while I was playing I in Washington, actually, is when I went and got my wine certifications. Um, during studying for those, I got to – I found out, like, Leesburg was a cool wine region. And so what people didn't know is, like, during OTAs, Soon it was over, I would like put on my work boots and I would drive to the vineyards over in Leesburg and I would work at like Fabioli Cellars and, and he let me, Doug Fabioli would let me hang out in the vineyard and plant vines and clean the tanks because I just wanted to know what it was like. Um, and then just through all that, I wanted to get into the business. I wanted to, I thought, start my own wine label, but then I realized like, man, I have such a unique network Um of people where I can just be the middleman for them. So that's kind of, you know, I started the Wine MVP. It's a full-on luxury VIP concierge. Um, you can go to thewinemvp.com or find the Wine MVP on social. And, yeah, so I do, like, trips and events. And I do, I did, like, Matt Ryan and Reggie Bush's, their wine cellar when I first started this business. Those were my first two clients. Um, I just sent a bunch of wine, like Justin Tuck. So I got a couple, uh, couple of lushes on my on my list um and then yeah then we're gonna have a i'm relaunching the wine club sometime in september so yeah right. man, i just I, that's all i do i mean i have meetings all day i got a meeting after this for wine so that that's honestly that's 100 percent of what i do and then in terms of like tv i got a couple calls this year my main goal is i want to call games um like if someone's like hey what do you want to do in, in tv i was like i i want to be in the booth i did it a couple times last year for college and i was like this is it you got to see how i look at football right from a strategic yeah. perspective like, no, that's 100%. how i watch ball like i i still i have all 22s from last year and i sit here like an old man like an old scout just watching all 22s <laughs> like i do that's what i do so is is that like would you rather call games or get into like a front office type of role so this is i i have had some inquiries this year about front office if there were two things i would do if there in in tv if there was one thing i would do it would be call games. It would be call games. In football, I don't. I would not coach. I would not. I would do front office. So I have inquiries about both. So I would definitely entertain both of those. So if someone's like, "Hey, come! I want you to come work in the front office." I would see what that entails. Probably more so pro side, um, but yeah, I would definitely entertain those. So especially last year when there was a lot of candidates getting interviewed and stuff like that, I had a couple calls like, "Hey, like standby." I'm like. All right, so I would do that. Yeah. Well, uh, what's your what's what's the go-to uh, wine right now for you? Dude, I've been crushing high noons, bro. <laughs> 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 I've been killing seltzers. <clears throat> um, for wine, gosh, I don't know, man. 
I, you know what? I try so much wine that I really don't drink wine as much people think I do. Mm. Because I'm always, I'm so always. It's, it's become much more of a job than it is like, a, hey, let me sit down, relax, have a glass of wine. Like, no, that's what I did all day. Was thought. Yeah, about I never stuff. really like, get to sit me, down and enjoy a glass of a wine. Really, um, I had a bottle of Fantasca actually, which was they sent me a bottle that was actually really good. My buddy Dylan Proctor, he's the uh, he run, he runs that winery over there. So, Fantasca, that was the last one I had. It was pretty good. Awesome. Nice. Nice. Well, good luck with everything, man. This was yeah. great. If you ever want to come back on, uh, I know, bro. Look at that. I gave y'all a sweet hour, man. Easy hour. You did. We asked for 30 and you hit us with the, <laughs> hey, I got time. You just kept telling like, stories. Right, I'm like, all right. right. Well, he said he got time. So. What I say in the beginning, I said, I make your job easy, Craig. That's yeah. what I said. <laughs> and, and deliver it again. Yeah. Never, never. That's fails. What I tell uh, people, people that's what you do. Players, control the narrative. <laughs> That, that so the, yeah make my job no, easy so the, the touchdown i gave up to obj the the one that he stretched out right mm-hmm. i mean that yeah. game i don't know that was the weirdest game ever i gave up two touchdowns and i finished second or first in pro football focus makes no sense <laughs> i had a pick maybe that's what did everything yeah they, they, but I, was that they the pick those where, picks or the play really where uh, Sean, yeah yeah kai Sean killed a guy yeah um no so when y'all asked me about that play versus me like oh you know whatever like blah, blah. so you guys would be like hey he got his ass kicked blah blah and i and i, I talked through it like it was funny i'm like look like i i was on his, i was strapping obj okay and then i remember i pushed him and i'm running i'm like okay like he's eli he, eli threw the ball i'm like okay this is going out the back of the end zone so i'm like i'm just gonna run and next thing you know i just saw a big ass 4x glove people don't know obj was a 4x glove 4x yeah boom and just laid out hands are huge and then he started doing the millie rock and i was like f this dude man <laughs> <laughs> i actually think that might have been the week you remember when you came in studio with me probably you, uh your wife came too and, yes. and, and like back in that old closet studio that became malcolm's office yes. at the park i think it was that week too so like talk about making life easy like you were like no nah, i'll still come in like it's cool we can talk about that. We can talk about the pick. Yeah. We can talk about. I do remember the the quote that came out of that was, uh, you were like, I my return was stank. <laughs> it was terrible. Because the field, I blame the field. And you were so mad I blame about the it. Field. <laughs> it was valid. It was trash. Anyhow, appreciate you guys. Yeah, dude. Thanks, Will. Appreciate well, it, buddy. Appreciate it, man.